You're listening to Nick Luck Daily. This edition is brought to you by Fitzdares, by the Racehorse Owners Association, and by Thoroughbred Racing Commentaries Global Rankings. Hello everyone, welcome to the Nick Luck Daily. Tom Stanley in for Nick, and it is Monday the 19th of June, also known as Royal Ascot E. Five fantastic days in Berkshire. We'll kick off tomorrow and we should get an update on the ground, shouldn't we? So here is Clark of the Course, Chris Stickles. Good morning from Ascot. This is a quick ground and going update on Monday morning at about 9am. The current going is good to firm on the straight course and on the round course it's good, good to firm in places. As for the weather, well yesterday we only had 1.8 millimetres of rain in some light showers during the afternoon. We were expecting some thunderstorms uh, and some heavier rain but got much less uh, than we were predicted. We are therefore applying five millimetres on the straight course only this morning. Um, the forecast for tomorrow is for some possible odd showers through the morning, maybe some thundery showers too. Um, there's a 30% chance of getting eight millimetres, but the general prediction for tomorrow is three to four millimetres through the morning. The rest of the week then looks actually generally dry. Uh, we're not expecting many showers. There's not an isolated shower possible. Temperatures... Tuesday, 23 degrees, uh, and then getting warmer as we go through the week, uh, with 24, 25 degrees expected for Wednesday and Thursday. Uh, Friday and Saturday could, could see temperatures of up to 26 degrees uh, with some warm sunshine. Senior writer at the Racing Post, Lee Mottishead, joins me to talk all things Royal Ascot. We will have a reflection on the Classic in France yesterday, won by Blue Rose Sen in fine style for Christopher Head. But Lee with your Ascot hat on, please. What are the what are the key stories that might emerge? What's different this year, first of all? Well, I'm going to pick up two two themes, Tom, that we can link uh, in terms of one person having his final Royal Ascot in his current role, and one person having his first Royal Ascot in his new role. Um, Frank Adori, to start off with. Um, Tom, we all know by now that he will be retiring at some point this year. He will be signing off from Royal Ascot on Saturday uh, and very possibly with a winning ride because it looks like Willie Mullins will be booking him for Stratum in the Queen Alexandra Stakes. Dettori, who rode at his first Royal meeting 36 years ago, 1987, as a 16-year-old kid, eight days after riding his first winner in Britain at Goodwood, he rode a horse called Merle for Clive Britton uh, at seven stone 10, finished sixth in the Hunt Cup. And there have been 77 Royal Ascot winners since then, Tom. I went down to his soon-to-be former home in Newmarket because plan- uh, Frankie's planning to uh, move to London at some point over the, the coming months. Swim on Wednesday and he struck me as an incredibly relaxed figure. He spoke about how he thought going into uh, these final big meetings and particularly Royal Ascot, he would be feeling emotional and relatively sad and upset, but none of it. He looked relaxed. He spoke of being relaxed and pretty much taking the view, uh, to use his own words, Tom, that if a ball's up now, who cares? I'm retiring. Um, and he believes that relaxed attitude that he's taken through the year has been reflected 
in his riding and we know how well he's riding he's won four group ones already in 2023 he's won two british classics and if you look at the the ride he's got on just day one of royal ascot the bookmakers are running for cover um all through uh sunday the odds on frankie's mount seem to get shorter and shorter that's not surprising because he's got a, a big book of rides in spiral last season's runaway coronation stakes winner goes in the first race the queen anne uh the jessica harrington train give me the beat boys have been well back for the coventry stakes on sunday uh Manikan, big chance in the king stand chaldean the 2000 guineas winner is favorite for the st james's palace stakes and then later in the day he's got two good chances uh towards the back end of the card uh one for uh willie mullins uh, on absurd in the copper horse handicap and 35 minutes before that potentially a very significant win indeed on a john and lady gosden train horse called saga who will all remember was one of those horses who added to frankie's awful day on gold cup day last year when stradivarius was controversially beaten in the gold cup 40 minutes later saga was just touched off in the britannia john gosden made clear that he uh, felt Frankie hadn't ridden those races particularly well. A sabbatical between the two followed. They then got back going again. Frankie spoke about that in this Racing Post interview. But since then, obviously, uh, Her Majesty the Queen has died. And this will be the first Royal Ascot, at which, in effect, the King, her son, is hosting the party. And I think that will be another theme this week, Tom. I've written about this in my Racing Post column in, in Monday's uh, edition. Um, my understanding is that the King is expected to be at Royal Ascot for every day of the meeting. I think this certainly wouldn't have been a, a given. He wasn't at Epsom on Derby Day. There was minimal royal presence there, which was which was a shame. But so my understanding is that he will be leading the royal procession on all five days of the meeting with chances saga to say on 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 tuesday frankie rise reach for the moon and the hunt cup on wednesday there'll be other horses for the likes of sir michael stout and william haggis through the week and i think it is it is significant um in my opinion i mean for a start the clues in the name it's royal ascot and for a lot of the people who go to royal ascot whilst for folk like you and i tom whilst we're obsessed by um who's on the right side of the track in the britannia for a lot of people, Royal Ascot is a very different thing. It's a social occasion. It's a national occasion. They won't necessarily go for the horse racing. And I think the the Royal Presence is, is a significant part of that. I think it's important that the King is there for that reason. But I think also for racing. Um, if you look back through the reign of um, Her Majesty Queen Elizabeth II, she was of huge importance to racing and British racing in particular, not only as um, a head of state for racing, but also I think in, in commercial terms, that's a harsh reality. There were a lot of uh, commercial deals done in British racing to which the Queen would indirectly have been integral, Kitco being one of them. And when I spoke after the Queen's death to Douglas Erskine Crum, now Chief Executive of the Judmont Group, and previously he filled that role at Ascot, he highlighted how many big racehorse owners, particularly international racehorse owners, were drawn to the sport because of the Queen. Now, nobody um, expects or believes that the King is anywhere near as interested in horse racing or breeding as his mother was, albeit the Queen um, 
Queen Camilla now is a big racing fan, but I think it is important for racing to have that connection. Um, no other sports had um, the support of the monarch in the way that racing did. Now, if the king can develop his interest in horse racing, that's not for it. He used to be an amateur jockey. That would be valuable for the sport. And just one other point as well, Tom, because we all know what happened at Epsom on Derby Day. Um, we know that the protest group Animal Rising has spoken of trying to or wanted to do something during the royal meeting. I don't think we can pretend that having the support of the monarch for horse racing, having the active visible support, in some ways adds an extra layer of protection for horse racing. I don't think the sport should need that extra layer of protection, but it is there and it's potentially not insignificant. Yeah, I'm going to come back to one thing if I can on on Saga, just to just to um, give my sympathies to Frankie, who at the time when Saga um, was beaten, it really looked as though um, Frankie was entirely to blame. I feel as though Saga has proved subsequently that perhaps he's not the easiest horse to win with, and um, um, yeah, maybe, and maybe I... only maybe only half of Frankie deserves to be thrown under the bus by John. On the... uh, I think <laughs> that is, I, I think that is <laughs> but, true, Tom. And you know, but, in that following race on the Thursday, I remember that Frankie was also beaten at odds of two to five. Yes, by the Chapel Hyam horse. On, yeah, yes. on reached the moon in the um, in the Hampton Court Stakes. Now, Rich the Moon goes in the Hunt Cup on Wednesday, and again, speaking to Frankie about this uh, during uh, this interview. Uh, when I saw him last week, he he he, pre- he predicted that very different tactics would be used on Rich the Moon. They might drop drop him out of the back and almost ride him like a non-trier, in the hope that the hurly burly of the race will will uh, trigger some enthusiasm that might have been lost. But there's no doubt that both Saga and Rich the Moon are complicated individuals. But it really would be a big deal, I think, if uh, the new king and queen had a winner at Royal Ascot this week and if one of those winners was ridden by Frank Latore with a flying dismount at the end of the race I think you can only well we I think we can we can expect the media coverage of that outside the racing media to be very significant mm. indeed and they, they'd, be they'd be fist coverage too they'd be fist pumping in the Ascot border wouldn't they let's be honest if that if that was happening and that it would think, be fantastic yeah and I think across racing PLC yeah. as well uh, okay, we have the decks for day one and three group ones on day one. Um, first race, let, let's kick off with um, David Simcock. He's doubly represented. And uh, first of all, I, I asked him if he could take me through the horse's respective chances. He's got two in it in the form of cash and light infantry. Um, it looks a, it looks a, a warm race on paper. Of course it does, but it's, um, it's a green hand, but... Um, both horses are in terrific form. Um, light infantry's been a model of consistency um, throughout his career, um, and Cash is very talented. Uh, how do I see them running? I think if Ascot got one of those deluges and a lot of rain, I think Cash would come into his own. Um, and light infantry, I think you know, we all know he sort of lacks a little bit of acceleration. Um, probably quite an important part of the race um but then he's strong through the line and the long mile ascot should should suit both of them did uh, jamie have a, a straight choice between the two of them um i wouldn't say straight a choice um cash is in my opinion more 
down dependent and would need that lane, whereas life in light infantry can go on fast ground or soft ground. Mm. Um, and if we if they didn't get sufficient rain, we'd, we'd look at the ground before deciding on cash. Right, so cash is sort of a, a hopeful runner, but it's not absolutely guaranteed if it came up very quick. No, and I've got it in my mind. We, we could have gone to the Gantons on Friday. Um, it was quick at York. <coughs> um, and I've got it in my mind that he's a, basically a slow ground miler, if you like. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think he's he'll be strong over that trip, and, and that's exactly what sort of Ascot was two starts ago. Do you, do you think one or other is 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 better suited to that 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 straight stiff mile? I, I think both will be. Um, I, I think um, you know, Light Infantry showed his best form at in Deauville last year, um, and he ran fine in the um, in the lock inch, but you know he was just done for, for speed at a certain part of the race, and we'll be quite aware of that this time. Um, and rather than waiting for the other horses to quicken, I'd like to think we'll be quickening first, if you like, or certainly stretching first. Yeah, you go back to that um, Jack Lamarwa form, um, I'd half forgotten how close he was there. I mean, on, on that, you look at the difference in the in the prices between the now favourite in Spiral and, and him, and there's, there's quite the disparity. Yeah, the, the one thing that did happen that day, I think you got a very good speed figure that day, but they went hard very early. Mm racing very early and that that really suited him Um, and he hasn't really had that since Okay, so so that's those two hopefully both line up Tides of War um, it has been declared for the Tuesday hasn't he so that's where he goes He's reserved on Tuesday I also put him in the mile and a half handicap um, on Friday uh, the Duke of Edinburgh Um, new horse to us um we had a look at him in Dubai, no more than that. And actually, we were very pleased with his comeback behind what, what looks a very exciting horse. Um, and, yeah, he's a horse that's just been gelded. And, and actually, I think he'll find his feet as the season goes on. Uh, bless him is a, a previous course and distance winner. It seems like a while ago now that he took the, the, the Britannia. Um, where are you with him, a mark of 103 for a Hunt Cup? I think I think he's very capable. I mean, he's a very very talented horse this day, um, but he certainly needs certain scenarios and things. Think needs things to fall right. Um, if he ran very well last time and travelled very well last time um, and was late off the bridle, um, and then he came out and won the Bunbury Cup. Um, we'll probably head to the Hunt Cup, I'd imagine, and you're very confident that he'll run very very well. Whether there's a young horse that's better treated than him, that's, that's what we'll find out. Okay, and apologies if I'm missing any, but the last one I can think of, Harry Brown, is he a, a definite runner? Yeah, he's probably our best chance of the week, I think. Um, he, he's progressive, he's quite quick. Um, he ran a really nice sort of, you know, um, first first run up on turf this year at Goodwood. Um, and he's not a very big horse. I'd always been concerned about him carrying big weights. Um but um, this long, long five furlongs at Ascot should really suit him, and um, you know I think it was a really, really good, um, good run, really good effort to Goodwood. Okay, well I hope your your week gets off to a flyer in the first race. But thanks for your time. Good luck. Thanks, Tom. Uh, Lee, go on. Um, I won't ask you yet what your what race you're most looking forward to. Your your Queen Anne thoughts first of all. Um, do do we feel that Inspiral is is being backed and going to go off favourite on account of her respective chance or the fact that Frankie de Tour is on board? Well, I think the Dettori factor 
um, is influencing the the latest prices on on pretty much all his mounts on Tuesday. So that they're all back to cross across Sunday. But I also think that you have to say that Inspira was enormously impressive when she was at the Royal Meeting last year in the in the Coronation Stakes. Now she never really ran to that level in her three subsequent starts, even when winning the pre Jacqueline Marois and she was disappointing in the QE2 on her final outing. I don't think she's necessarily a straightforward individual, but I think in terms of ability, her coronation win was perhaps the most impressive piece of form that any horse brings into this race. I think she would be a worthy favourite, but I'd be lying if I said it's a race that I've got a, a strong view on. I think it's interesting that, that modern games is so much shorter in the betting than his Charlie Appleby trained double companion native trail, who in my head is still probably a more talented horse, albeit he wasn't, I didn't think, massively encouraging on his, on his um, reappearance at, uh, at Newmarket. Um, modern Games is really consistent. Um, he has to go up against Chindit again, though, of course, almost ate him uh, in the closing stages of the locking stakes. Thank for the four stalls apart, which might be reassuring for Modern Games. I don't think it's a vintage uh, Queen Anne stakes, Tom, but I think it's an interesting race. Agreed, and I, I put it to David there. I'd be looking, um, I'd be looking a bit further down the betting than the obvious ones, uh, probably because that's how I always approach race one. Uh, quite often get it wrong, but there you are. What race are you most looking forward to, day one, Lee? I would say the King Stan Stakes. Um, I think in some ways it symbolises that international field to Royal Ascot that the race course is always so uh, keen to achieve, and in particular. Um, Nick Smith, who is such a significant part of the Ascot team, um, the director of racing there, he does an incredibly good job at bringing international horses across to to Royal Ascot, helped with people, helped by people like Adrian Beaumont from the International Racing Bureau, and they have really achieved that this year. Right across the meeting, we've got a strong international flavour, particularly in terms of. America and Australia, and we have both America and Australia represented in this Kingstown Stakes. Uh, Twilight Gleaming goes for Wesley Ward, Philly, who was second in the Queen Mary a couple of years ago. Um, but two strong Aussie contenders in here in a race that the country has done so well in the past, including last year with the fabulous uh, Nature Strip. I don't think Cannonball or Coolangatta are as good as the Nature Strip was at his best. But certainly Coolangatta is a strong contender, one that the big Aussie trial for the King's Standard Lightning Stakes on a most recent outing 122 days ago at Flemington. I was there um, that day. David Eustace, the, the co-trainer with Kieran Marr, made clear at that point that the, the King's Stand was the big aim for this filly. They've got her there, albeit off the back of a not particularly inspiring Flemington jump out uh, a couple of weeks or so or go, but I think she'll still be a, a tough nut to crack. But in Highfield Princess, the chief local hope, she faces uh, an increasingly outstanding sprinter. We all know what a wonderful story Highfield Princess brings to the table. She also brings three Group 1 victories from last season, including two over five furlongs. And she was really, I thought, encouraging and promising in her Duke of York Stakes reappearance at York. She is, I think, a a worthy favourite, but there's 19 horses across the board. It's a fascinating sprint. As I say, I think it it symbolises so much of what is good 
about the modern Royal Ascot. What about the other of the the group ones, the the Guineas horses going head to head, the 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 Charlie Hills curveball? I think Caldin should and will win. Um, myself, Tom, I think he's got a, a perfect draw as well in store one. I think there's a danger that maybe we still underrate him. Um, I don't think he's one of the all-time great 2000 Guineas winners, but I think he's a very good horse. And I suspect he's probably better than the horses you'll be taking on in this race. Um, Paddington has an unusual profile in some ways for an Aidan O'Brien trained classic winner. Um, but there was loads to like about his win in the, the Irish 2000 Guineas. Isaac Shelby brings the French 2000 Guineas form, having finished second at Longchamp. And as you say, Cicero's gift has has a, a really intriguing profile because in terms of the quality of races that he has been running in, well, they've been nothing like so strong as the horses with the the classic form. He's he's won a uh two races, two sort of novice events at Newbury and Wolverhampton and then a conditions race at Goodwood last time. But the the impression he made at Goodwood was so powerful that he is a, a relatively short price um, for this one, Mostab Shear looked really good as well at at York last time, and we all know that Royal Scotsman was perhaps unlucky not to finish closer to Caldean in the Guineas than he did. But then he disappointed at the Curra. Um, it's again, it's a strong St James's Palace, but but I, I, I pretty I, I'm pretty strong on on Caldean as well. Can you imagine if 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 Frankie manages to bag? Well, he's on two <laughs> favourites and a third favourite. In, in the three group ones. I mean, imagine the, yeah. the, the whole place will just, will just fall apart. If he win even if he wins two of them. Well, um, yeah, un- he's right. unstoppable. Go on. Yeah. yeah and, and you say, imagine the thing is with Frankie. Yes. It's very, it's imaginable. To, it's, 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 it's entirely imaginable. I, I remember as well, Tom, last year on the, on the Friday, um, I was watching the, the coronation stakes from, uh, within the grandstand around a furlong from the winning post and as Frankie made the move on in spiral and as she swept to the front the noise was incredible and it just reminded me there of how big a deal he is with the racing public particularly the meeting like Royal Ascot a lot of the people there may well have only heard of a single racing participant, and that will be Frankie de Tori. You know, he he is the face of racing. He represents horse racing, and there'll be lots of people who'll be backing him blind on 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 the all well week, but certainly on on Tuesday. And as you say, if he does have a a big day, well, that really will get the party off with an extraordinarily big bang. Okay, there's a, a strong American challenge this year, a varied American challenge as well. I caught up with Tom Morley a little earlier on, having his first UK runner, let alone his first Royal Ascot runner, with Kinane in the Queen Mary. And this is what he had to say. You know, it's a, it's a, a big mission from the US, um, and I've, I've longed to do this for a long time, but all credit to the filly. She's the one who's brought us here, and um, she's done everything right since we bought her. With a, with a view to hopefully being good enough to, to have a go at the Queen Mary. So just just tell me about the, the Belmont run, what you made of it, what you expected, and why off the back of that you thought, Royal Ascot, here we come. Well, when we bought for Keeneland in September, um, she 
actually reminded me enormously of, of the fillies that uh, Jeremy used to buy to come back to the UK to, to compete in these types of races. And, um, you know, it, it, fair play to her. She's never missed a beat. She went to Railrayers, uh, Kings Equine and Akala, and, and I explained what the mission was. And if she was good enough to do it, then um, that would be the plan with her. Um, and she came into me at the beginning of March, trained very forwardly, um, but she has a tremendously relaxed mind when she's not on the track. She's actually got a wonderful mind on the track as well, but, um, uh, you know, we, having Castellano played, played a huge part in getting her ready to win the first time, um, and that's what you need to do. You need to be good enough to win the first time in America to warrant coming here for the Queen Mary, and, um, it, she's she's been an absolute superstar, a, 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 a literally a class one student since the word since the word go. So she's ticked all the boxes since she, since she got over. That's good. Um, you obviously wanted to keep the partnership with Javier intact rather than using a, a British jockey. Yeah, I mean Javier's ridden her on, in, in all her fast work in the morning, rode her on debut, and there's no question that if he wanted to come. And he was the one when he came back to Unsaddle and I, I looked at him, I said, are we, are we mad to go? And he said, we'd be mad not to. He said, I had so much force at the line, we'd be mad not to go. Um, obviously, it's well documented that I have a very close relationship with Tom Marquand, who came and spent a lot of time in America with me um, before he started riding, before he went to Richard Hannon. So if Javier hadn't been able to come, then we would have had a, a fabulous backup. Um, but you know he, he knows us so well, um, and it's a it, it's been something that he and his agent and I have lived since September. I left the September sale and talked to PJ and Javier and said I've, I've bought a filly that I genuinely I hope if she's good enough that, that she could be a Royal Ascot type. What do you what do you make of the five at, at Ascot for her? Obviously the the stiff straight five, and, and what ground do you ideally want? I take it quicker the better. Yeah, I, I, I'm not worried about anything good or faster. It would be wonderful. Anything on, on the softer side of good would, might be a bit a, a bit of a question mark for her. Um, but she has a real... She's not bred to do this. Um, she has a proper stairs pedigree. Uh, she's by Omaha Beach, who was a miles 10 furlong grade one horse. Um Son of Warfront has just started off his standing career and started off very, very quickly uh, with his runners. But her, her female family is all two-turn turf, uh, wonderful fit family. Um, the second dam's half sister to point of entry. Um, and there are multiple, multiple stakes when it's going eight, nine, ten furlongs in the, in the whole female family. So the, the stiff five really literally doesn't, worry me at all um, if you watch the replay of her race at Belmont no horse was getting anywhere near her at the wire and her gallop out was, was absolutely phenomenal uh, she actually had to be pulled up by the outrider so the stiff five uh, holds no fears for me mm -hmm. do you know I, I, so rather lazily I hadn't looked at the down side of her pedigree at all <laughs> she should be getting 10 to a mile and a half Tom so yeah, she's, yeah. She, she's bred to win the Diana not the Queen Mary yeah. so uh, I I, I I questioned the idea of, of, of running her uh, further here and 
um, you know, on advice of, of some other people, was that if you have an American quick horse, run them the, the flat five, because at the end of the day, the European horses are getting to you at the end of the six and seven furlong races. But if you're fast in America, you're likely to be very fast in Europe. Um, the, the Jeremy you mentioned previously, Jeremy Nasida, who you were assistant to and, and, and were with when he had Royal Ascot winners himself, um, you obviously you know are now in, in the States training, but but what's it been it been like coming back to, to England with a horse to run at Ascot? I guess perhaps a little different to other American trainers coming over, potentially, because there's a bit more like coming home for you, I guess. It is, it's coming home. Um, and and that's enormous. For personally, for me, it's it's huge. But I wouldn't be coming. If, I wouldn't. I, I I wouldn't want to do it with a horse that I didn't think had the right mentality to handle the shipping, to handle the pressure of the race day. And she's a tremendously laid back filly. Um, and it's all credit to her, um, not me. She's she's been a model student. Um, Jeremy was a fantastic trainer for these types of races during the time that I, that I worked for him and it's been um, a model that I follow, followed very very closely when we saw it at sales I, I thought that she was a, a real type to, to have a crack at this sort of thing and it's, it's actually wonderful Dave Bradley who was Jeremy's assistant is looking after her here in Newmarket and Sean Murphy who wrote a lot of our fast work has been getting on her every day so it's like bringing the old band back together Tom, we wish you and the team all the best. Tom, thank you so much. Well, all the very best to, to Tom. A sign of the a variety of, of horses coming over from the States. Um, well, it's it's not just the Wesley Ward show anyway, which is good. And here to discuss that and a bit more is FanDuel TV's Scott Hazelton. Scott's going to be there every day for FanDuel and, and joins me now. You, you landed. How's the jet lag, Scott? Uh, good. All set. Ready to go. Looking forward to, to getting things rolling on Tuesday and seeing if uh, America can, can get back into the winner's enclosure at Royal Ascot. So, so where are we with the, all right, with the Ward horses? Because they've got the most history here. Um, obviously, we've, we're meant to have a world beater in the form of American Rascal back again this year. But have they dropped off a bit? Or, or have the juveniles over here just got a bit, a bit bigger, stronger? What, 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 is there anything in that, do you think? No, I just think that it's, it's a product of, you know, this is not easy to do. Um, I mean, it's, you know, that's why it, it celebrated so much the, the success that he's had. I mean, I, you know, he's brought over some nice horses. And, and obviously, I think that you look at that Wesley's successes um, with the two-year-olds in the Breeders' Cup races, um, even in years that he's not winning it at Royal Alaska, it just goes to show you that he's still got, got nice horses. I mean, I just think that it speaks to why we celebrate Royal Ascot the way in which we do, um, and rightfully. See, I feel like um, I feel like were American Rascal here five years ago, people people can't couldn't have him beat, and he'd be he'd be you know massively strong at the top of the betting. But that's not quite the case, right? Do do you feel he is as good a horse potentially as Wesley's brought over before? Yeah, and I think that that's you know just how we react in the markets and the wagering in, the, in these races is that you know you look at the last couple of years, especially with these two year olds, and try to predict what's going on. I mean. Um, is it fair to compare American Rascal to the losses that, that Wesley's had in the last couple of years? I, I, I personally don't think so. I mean, as a as a handicapper, as a horse player, as a punter, um, I think it's 
situations like that, you've got to recognize an overreaction by by the masses and take advantage of it. So, I mean, if the price is inflated because of that, it has absolutely nothing to do with you know what's going to happen this week at Ask It with a horse like American Rascal. So, I think those are the types of scenarios that you have to recognize and use to your advantage. And the overreaction, the overreactionary nature of punters and handicappers. Okay. Do you expect him to win? I do. I mean, the way that Wesley has talked about him, he says he's the best chance that, that he has um, in the Norfolk Stakes with American Rascal. Um, he's got the pedigree, obviously, by Curlin out of Lady Aurelia. Um, he is, and the way that he wanted Keeneland, the way that he, he overcame and, and powered away from that, that field uh, at Keeneland Racecourse on dirt um, was something else. I mean, I, I luckily ran down and was able to see with my own two eyes instead of having to watch on the monitor, watch him run past me and run past the winner's circle there at Keeneland and to the, to the finish, uh, finish line. And I, I can't think of the last time I've seen horse, a horse's legs move that quickly. It looked, honestly, something of a cartoon with the way in which he was striding out. So, and the, the quick nature in which he was uh, striding out. So um, I'm very excited to see uh, him compete. I think he'll be very tough. Um, especially with all the things that he's got going for him. And I think as a, as a racing fan, these are the types of stories that you root for. Obviously, Wesley speaks for himself, but also when you've got the American Invader with a, a pedigree like this and the generational success that this horse could provide uh, to, to not only Stone Street Stables, but to Royal Ascot to have a two-time winning filly like Lady Aurelia produce um, a horse like this with her very first foal. Um, it, it just it speaks to the brilliance of the race meeting that is Royal Ascot. Okay, give me give me one other, maybe maybe Wesley Horse, maybe not. I don't know, but one other American you you think might just be a bit a bit overlooked, or you expect to go very well. Well, it's you know I'm, I'm it's going to be a Wesley Horse. I think that that he of of the horses that are coming over has the best chance. I think all four of them have big looks. Um, and I'm split between Fandom and Bunchin, but but Bunchin is a horse that's been talked about so much and so many expectations coming in and the fact that Wesley's bringing this gunrunner filly over off of a defeat at uh, Keeneland in the mud. Now, granted, that the muddy surface to this, the turf course at, at, uh, at Royal Ascot is a big swing, but he has said that she's done better on the turf. So uh, I think that Bunchin is a, is a horse that you've got to strongly consider for Wesley, the gunrunner filly for Three Chimney Swan. Lee. Yesterday at Chanty, some performance from Christopher Head's uh, Diane winner, Blue Rose Sen. She looks pretty smart. She is. She looks very smart indeed, um, Tom. She's now completed a um, a notable Group 1 hat-trick in the Primacel Boussac, the Pool de Sede Pouliche, and now the, the Diane. And she wins her races increasingly impressively. As well, there were doubts about whether she would uh, stay and whether she would thrive the ten and a half furlongs in the Shanti Classic, but she did. The race, to an extent, was run to suit her. She wasn't maybe uh, tested in the way that she might have been, but you can't knock a filly who wins by by four lengths, and you can't knock a a, a trainer. Uh, in Christopher Head, who has done such a sublime job with her. And he's also spoken incredibly well 
after the race to talk about how his job is to create legends. Well, we know that members of his family have certainly done that. His father, Freddie, um, as a jockey and a trainer, particularly, I suppose, with, with Goldie Kova. His, his aunt, Priquette, with with Trev and his, his grandfather, Alec, was a racing legend as well. And I think in, in Blue Rose Sen, Christopher Head has a, a filly who is taking him now right to the top. Um, the arc hadn't really been a consideration for this filly beforehand. She wasn't even put in the arc. Um, she would have to be supplemented to get into the race, but she's now around an 8, 10 to 1 chance to win it. And it would be surprising if they weren't thinking along those lines because at the minute there's certainly not one outstanding horse in the pre de triumph that stands above all others by that i mean um lots of very good horses but there isn't one outstanding horse in there given that equinox looks almost certain not to go to the race he's not even been entered so i can't imagine he'd be supplemented so it's a, it's a wide open race she certainly should be trained towards the arc and i think she will be and she must be a a player, she gets better and better, and we now know she certainly stays a mile two and a half. Time to check in with our friends at Tatsall's. Jimmy George joins me to explain about this year's bonus from horses that came out of the Craven Breeze up sale. Um, it could be a good week for a for a, a, a connection here. Jimmy, tell us a bit more. Yeah, morning, Tom. Um, yes, it's uh, the the scheme was introduced a couple of years ago. It's it's named the two hundred fifty thousand pound Tatsall's Craven Royal. Ascot and Group 1 bonus, so a, a catchy little title there. Um, but uh, this is the first shot at it, Royal Ascot Week, so if any of the two-year-olds purchased at the Craven Breeze up sale just a, a few weeks ago, goes on to win one of the two-year-old races in the coming week, they win £125,000 bonus, 100 of which goes to the owners, and £25,000 of that will go to the to the proud consigner. So it's a, a hefty bonus and and one well worth winning. And it can only be won once. So if it goes to the horse in the commentary, um, then 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 it's gone, is it? Yeah, they scoop the pool. So and uh, in fairness, it looks like one of the best chances of the week for a for a Craven Breeze Up bonus winner is the very exciting and certainly visually hugely impressive um, Asadna. Um, who won unbelievably well at, at Ripon on on debut uh, for George Bowie and and connections. So he look on paper he looks like the most likely of of the winners. But uh, if he doesn't, there's plenty of other contenders later in the week. So uh, there's it's all to play for. Who else came out of that um, Craven Breeze up sale then? That's in with half a chance this week. There's a horse called Malk of uh, Midland Parks, trained by Richard Fahey. And I'd say on balance, he's he's in the Windsor Castle and the Norfolk. But I would think at this stage they might be favouring the Windsor Castle. And he'd definitely have a squeak. He looks a smart type in the making. And uh, there's a filly called Navassa Island uh, of Michael O'Callaghan's who didn't win her first start, but that was a very smart maiden over in Ireland. And she was subsequently bought by um, a, a Saudi Saudi owners who who go under the name of Amazing Team. She cost 240,000 guineas at the, at the Craven Breeze Up. And 
I don't, I think she'd have a squeak in the Albany as well. So there's there's plenty of there's plenty of candidates, and uh, look, they'll be lining up a, alongside plenty of Tavistol graduates uh, who who aren't who don't stand to win Craven Breeze Up bonus. But uh, it's an important week in that respect as well for horses bought at Tavistols in you know throughout the week. And beyond this week, if they don't scoop a pot this week, what other bonuses are there? So all of the Group 1 two-year-old races in Britain, Ireland and France um, during the course of the year. So there's plenty of opportunities to to win one of these bonuses. And uh, in the first year, the Group 1 bonus was won by Native Trail, who obviously won two Group 1s. But when he won the national stakes, he, he yeah, he won a, a very handsome bonus for uh, obviously for Godolphin and for his consigner, Norman Williamson. So uh, that was a... That was a huge bonus for him, and obviously he went on to be champion, unbeaten champion, two-year-old of his of his year, and uh, very much flying the flag for for the Craven Breeze up. And uh, look, he's he's got a very real chance in the Queen Anne Stakes in the the opening race of the meeting. So uh, there's plenty of very fine advertisements for the Craven Breeze up out there at the moment. Jimmy, appreciate your time. Thanks ever so much. Tom, always good to chat. See you during the week. And Lee, before you uh, send us away with a with a tip, sad news yesterday that we lost Paul Barber, prominent owner of the, the likes of Seymour Business and, and Denman, who passed away at the the age of eighty. This is um, well, this will be felt obviously by his his close family. Also, Paul Nichols has um, has clearly expressed just just what what a loss it is to him. Yes, he has. Um, Paul Nichols has has said all along that. That Paul Barber was was far more than just his 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 landlord um, and the owner of some of his best horses. He was pretty much like a a second father to him. Um, Paul Barber, a man who adored adored um, jump racing and particularly adored the staying chaser, and he had enormous success with staying chasers. His Holy Grail was the Cheltenham Gold Cup. He won that race twice with Seymour Business and with Denman. Um, more recently, he has won um, major races with the likes of Top of the Game and, of course, Clandis Oboe. Um, he's a man who was widely respected, in fact, universally respected across jump racing, not only as a very knowledgeable and smart individual but also as a very decent man indeed, and he'll be hugely missed. Just a tip from you, please, Lee. Tip, Tom. Well, I, I could be boring and say I'm going for one on, on, on Monday at, no, that, at that, Carlisle, no, that, but that, that would be That wouldn't boring. be allowed. It no, wouldn't be allowed. I'd, just, it I'd be allowed. edit it out and delete it, I'm afraid. Well, you, be, you'd yeah. be right to do so as well. And I'm going to go to Royal Ascot, Tom. I'm going to go to the very last race on the opening day, the 610, the Copper Horse Handicap. The sexy horse in this is Vauban. Uh, two years ago, well, actually last year, after he won the Triumph Hurdle, um, his connections were saying that they saw him as a Melbourne Cup horse of the future. This could well be a precursor to a trip to Australia. But I think it could be as well for horse number four, Point King, trained by Joseph O'Brien, trained by the super superstar Aussie-based jockey James McDonald. He is owned by the Williams family. Uh, of course, are Australian owners. They live and breathe and adore, again, the Melbourne Cup. Their horse here, Point King, it's only raced six times. 
Um, all but one of those runs have actually been at Leopardstown, where most recently he was a shorthead second in a Group 3 behind Yashin on May the 19th. I think he's a horse with plenty more to give. He's a really progressive, smart individual. I'm certain he's a proper group horse. And I think in a race where Vauban is inflating the prices of his um, smart rivals, for me, Point King can can prove that he is more than good enough to contest group races and hopefully head on to the Melbourne Cup by winning the Copper Horse Handicap. So for me, number four, Point King in the 6-10 at Royal Ascot on Tuesday. Lee, thank you very much indeed. That was Monday, the 19th of June. Nick will return tomorrow from day one at Royal Ascot 2023. Bye-bye. You've been listening to Nick Luck Daily, brought to you in association with Fitzdares, the Racehorse Owners Association and Thoroughbred Racing Commentary. Mm-hmm.